And uh, thank you guys for being out tonight. How many of you brought your $5? You got your $5? Got your $5 right here. We're going to go through that $5 here in just a few moments. <clears throat> but I want to I wanna show you, and, and, and I hope you don't mind, we're going to listen to a, a, a testimony. I was telling you about testimonies and the importance of testimonies. And the word testimony means do it again. And But I, I was trying to find, I had a video and I couldn't find it. So I, I just settled with the audio clip. But I want to show you, I want to, I want you to listen uh, to an audio clip of one of the greatest testimonies of, of evangelism, personal evangelism, I have ever heard in my entire life. If you're not gripped, if you're not challenged, if you're not encouraged by what you hear, we're going to run you to the hospital because you're probably dead. And so you may not know it yet, but... You probably are dead. So they're going to listen to this. Now, please hear me. You do not want to leave. Uh, it's going to be a little bit long. It's about eight minutes long, but it gets better and gets better and gets better. And so can we go ahead and play that, gentlemen, and make sure we have some good volume so everybody can hear. It's, it's a little bit of a rough uh, audio clip with some, uh, some music in the background. But are we ready to go? All right, let's play that. Listen carefully. A number of years ago, in a Baptist church in Crystal Palace in southern London, the Sunday morning service was closing and a stranger stood up at the back, raised his hand, he said, excuse me, pastor, can I share a little testimony? The pastor looked at his watch, he said, you've got three minutes. And this man proceeded, he said, I've just moved into this area. I used to live in another part of London. I came from Sydney in Australia. And just a few months back, I was visiting some relatives and I was walking down George Street. You know where George Street is in Sydney? It runs from the business hub out to the rocks, the colonial area. And he said, a strange little white-haired man stepped out of a shop doorway, put a pamphlet in my hand and said, Excuse me, sir, are you saved? If you die tonight, are you going to heaven? He said, I was astounded by those words. Nobody had ever told me that. I thanked him courteously and all the way on British Airlines back to Heathrow, this puzzled me. I called a friend who lived in this new area where I'm living now and thank God he was a Christian. He led me to Christ and I'm a Christian and I want to fellowship here. And Baptists love testimonies like it. Everyone applauded and welcomed him into the fellowship. That Baptist pastor flew to Adelaide in Australia the next week. And ten days later, in the middle of a three-day series in a Baptist church in Adelaide, a woman came to him for counseling and he wanted to establish where she stood with Christ. And she said, I used to live in Sydney. And just a couple of months back, I was visiting friends in Sydney, doing some last-minute shopping down George Street, and a strange little white-haired man, elderly man, stepped out of a shop doorway, offered me a pamphlet, said, Excuse me, ma'am, are you saved? If you die tonight, are you going to heaven? She said, I was disturbed by those words. When I got back to Adelaide, I knew this Baptist church was on the next block from me, and I sought out the pastor, and he led me to Christ. So, sir, I'm telling you that I am a Christian. Now, this London pastor was now very puzzled. Twice, within a fortnight, he'd heard the same testimony. He then flew to preach in the Mount Pleasant Baptist Church in Perth. And when his teaching series was over, the senior elder of that church took him out for a meal. And he said, mate, how'd you get saved? He said, I grew up in this church from the age of 15 through Boys Brigade. Never made a commitment to Jesus, just hopped on the bandwagon like everybody else. And because of my business ability, grew up to a place of influence. I was on a business outing in Sydney just three years ago. And an obnoxious, spiteful little man stepped out of a shop doorway, offered me a religious pamphlet, cheap junk and accosted me with a question. Excuse me, sir, are you saved? If you die tonight, you're going to heaven. He said, I tried to tell him I was a Baptist elder. He wouldn't listen to me. He said, I was seething with anger all the way home on Qantas to, to Perth. 
He said, I told my pastor thinking he would sympathize with me and my pastor agreed. He had been disturbed for years knowing that I didn't have a relationship with Jesus and he was right. And my pastor led me to Jesus just three years ago. Now this London preacher flew back to the UK and was speaking at the Keswick Convention in the Lake District. And he threw in these three testimonies. At the close of his teaching session, four elderly pastors came up and said, we got saved between 25 and 35 years ago, respectively, through that little man on George Street giving us a tract and asking us that question. He then flew the following week to a similar Keswick Convention in the Caribbean, to missionaries. And he shared the testimonies. At the close of his teaching session, three missionaries came up and said, we got saved between 15 and 25 years ago, respectively, through that little man's testimony and asking us that same question on George Street in Sydney. Coming back to London, he stopped outside Atlanta, Georgia, to speak at a naval chaplain's convention. And when his three days of revving these naval chaplains up, over a thousand of them, in soul winning, the chaplain general took him out for a meal. And he said, how do you become a Christian? He said, well, it was miraculous. I was a rating on a United States battleship and I lived a reprobate life. We were doing exercises in the South Pacific and we docked in Sydney Harbour for replenishments. We hit King's Cross with a vengeance. I got blind drunk. I got on the wrong bus, got off in George Street. And <laughs> as I got off the bus, I thought it was a ghost. This elderly white-haired man jumped in front of me, pushed a pamphlet in my hand and said, Sailor, are you saved? If you die tonight, you're going to heaven. He said, the fear of God hit me immediately. I was shocked sober and ran back to the battleship, sought out the chaplain. The chaplain led me to Christ. And I soon began to prepare for the ministry under his guidance. And here I am in charge of over a thousand chaplains and we're bent on soul winning today. That London preacher, six months later, flew to do a convention for 5,000 Indian missionaries in a remote corner of northeastern India. And at the end, the Indian missionary in charge, a humble little man, took him home to his humble little home for a simple meal. And he said, how did you, as a Hindu, come to Christ? He said, I was in a very privileged position. I worked for the Indian diplomatic mission. And I traveled the world. And I am so glad for the forgiveness of Christ and his blood covering my sin, because I'd be very embarrassed if people found out what I got into. He said, one bout of diplomatic service took me to Sydney. And I was doing some last-minute shopping laden with parcels of toys and clothing for my children, walking down George Street. And this courteous little white-haired man stepped out in front of me, offered me a pamphlet, and said, Excuse me, sir, are you saved? If you die tonight, you're going to heaven. He said, I thanked him very much, but this disturbed me. I got back to my town, I sought out the Hindu priest, and he couldn't help me. But he gave me some advice. He said, just to satisfy your curious mind, nothing else, go and talk to the missionary in the mission house at the end of the road and that was fatal advice. He said, because that day the missionary led me to Christ, I quit Hinduism immediately and then began to study for the ministry. I left the diplomatic service and here I am by God's grace in charge of all these missionaries and we are winning hundreds of thousands of people to Christ. Well, eight months later, that Crystal Palace Baptist pastor was ministering in Sydney, in Gymea, southern suburb of Sydney. And he said to the Baptist minister, do you know a little man, an elderly little man, who witnesses and hands out tracts on George Street? And he said, I do. His name is Mr. Genor, G-E-N-O-R. But I don't think he does it anymore. He's too frail and elderly. The man said, I want to meet him. Two nights later, they went around to this little apartment, knocked on the door, and this tiny, frail little man opened the door. He sat them down, made them some tea, and he was so frail, he was slopping tea into the saucer as he shook. And as he sat with them, this London preacher told him all these accounts over the previous three years. 
This little man sat with tears running down his cheeks. He said, my story goes like this. He said, I was a rating on an Australian warship and I lived a reprobate life and in a crisis I really hit the wall and one of my colleagues whom I gave literal hell was there to help me. He led me to Jesus and the change in my life was night to day in 24 hours and I was so grateful to God. I promised God that I would share Jesus in a simple witness with at least 10 people a day. As God gave me strength. Sometimes I was ill, I couldn't do it, but I made up for it for other times. I wasn't paranoid about it, but I have done this for over 40 years. And in my retirement years, the best place was on George Street. There were hundreds of people. I got lots of rejections, but a lot of people courteously took the tracks. And he said, in 40 years of doing this, I've never heard of one single person coming to Jesus until today. Do you know, I would say that has to be commitment. That has to be just sheer gratitude and love for Jesus to do that. Not hearing of any results. Margarita did a little count. That's 146,100 people. That simple little non-charismatic Baptist man influenced somehow to Jesus. And I believe what God was showing that Baptist minister was the tip of the tip of the tip of the tip of this iceberg. Goodness knows how many more had been arrested for Christ and were doing huge jobs out in the mission field. Mr. Genor died two weeks later. And can you imagine the reward he went home to in heaven? I doubt if his face would ever have appeared on Charisma magazine. I doubt if there would ever have been a write-up with a photograph in Billy Graham's Decision magazine, as beautiful as those magazines are. Nobody except a little group of Baptists in southern Sydney knew about Mr. Genor. But I'll tell you, his name was famous in heaven. Heaven knew Mr. Genor. And you can imagine the welcome and the red carpet and the fanfare he went home to when he arrived in glory. to and he never even led one of them to Jesus on his own. Could you imagine? <laughs> that messes me up. I just want to weep. The stories that can be told, I, I've done my homework. It's an absolute true story. Friends of mine whose parents are from Australia, parents knew this man and said that he was one of the most committed soul winners. They had never even, he wasn't even in the ministry but he was more committed to reaching people than any other minister they had ever met. Ten people a day. I want you to grab your little worksheet and we're going to start going through this. <clears throat> Creating a culture of reach. Creating a culture of reach. It's got to become our culture. It's got to become the language that we speak. Everything we do, everything we say is to reach people for Jesus. Father, I ask just for the next few moments that you would lend me your voice. God, I'm not trying to ask them to do anything that you did not challenge us, command us to do. And Lord, to serve you is also serving who you are and what you stand for. And so, Lord, I pray that your heart would be grafted within our chests, that we would begin to love what you love because we love you. So, Lord, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts and minds.
that are ready, willing, and able to believe in everything that you would speak into our existence. God, we want your word to speak to us, not man's opinion and definitely not my advice. So, Lord, would you speak to us today? In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Matthew chapter 28, we talked about the Great Commission last night. That uh, Some people say it's the Great Commission, not the Great Suggestion. It was a, a commission. It was a commandment, what God was telling us. It wasn't asking us our advice on whether or not we felt like doing it. He was telling us. He was charging us to do so. But it says in Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20, it says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth have been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. I want you to see a couple of steps that prepared these 11 disciples to go out and reach the world. I mean, this was not just, hey, listen, there's other denominations that if we don't do this, other people will go. I want you to understand there were no others besides them at this moment. And so Jesus is speaking to the very foundations, the very start, the very beginning stages of the church. And, and this is what he told his, 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 these, these first time evangelists, if you will. He said this, he said, I want you to go to a place to meet with me. Could you imagine if those 11 said, hey, I got something else to do. I got, I got other plans. I'm, I'm sorry, Jesus, I cannot make it. And they would have missed it. Can I tell you, we wouldn't be sitting here to this day. But as you're filling out your worksheet, put on the very first line there, obedience. They were obedient to what God had said. And so therefore, obedience led to position. Obedience led to position. Because they were willing to obey what Jesus had said and to go to this particular place, they positioned themselves in a place to receive something. The second line, put this down, position led to encounter. So obedience led to position, but now position led them to encounter. They had got into that place. You've all seen football, football games and that quarterback. Can I tell you, those, those wide receivers are positioning themselves to catch that ball. They are running their routes. Basically, Jesus said, hey, I want you to go to this place. And they position themselves. And because of that position, it says that they encountered God. They encountered Jesus. So obedience led to position. Position led to encounter. Now watch. Encounter led to revelation. Encounter led to revelation. The 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain, the exact spot where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they encountered him, they worshipped him, right? And all of a sudden, this revelation of God's plan on how to reach the world was given to them. So encounter led to revelation. But now watch. Revelation led to direction. Revelation led to direction. What does Jesus do? He starts giving them some directions on how to this, this plan is going to begin to unfold. So obedience led to position. Position led to encounter. Encounter led to revelation. Revelation led to direction. 
On the next line, seeking the face, seeking the face of God will introduce us to the heart of God. I have never, I've met a lot of incredible men and women of God, but I have never met someone that seeks the face of God that does not have the heart of God or have the understanding of what's on God's heart. So seeking the face of God will introduce us to the heart of God. See, God's heart is relationship with His children. So we must remember that the key, write that down, key to evangelism is our walk with God. The key to evangelism is our walk with God, our intimate walk with God. Because I've found out what we, we will naturally talk about what we're passionate about, right? People that are passionate about football, they talk about football. People that are passionate about their babies. You know, you, you, grand, grandparents are the greatest at this. You don't have to ask them if they have grandbabies. Before long, they're showing you the Rolodex of their children. They're, they're showing you all the pictures. Oh, look at this one. Oh, this is when they were three. This was when they were three in one day, three in four days, three in five. And you're like going, oh my gosh. Let me guess. You like your grandbabies, right? We talk about naturally what we're passionate about. Matthew chapter 12, verses 34 says this. Out of the abundance of our heart, our mouth speaks. What our, what I love what the one translation says. It says, whatever our heart is full of comes out of and flows our mouth. And so we naturally begin to speak what our heart is full of. And so therefore, if we're full of Jesus, go back with me to that testimony. What did he say? He said, I was so grateful to Jesus. I, I was so in love with Jesus that all I, I had to tell other people about him. I mean, you heard what he was doing. He wasn't breaking down the Greek. He wasn't having a theological conversation with them. He just simply was questioning eternity. Now, that may not be what God puts on our heart, but that's what God put on his heart. And let me explain something. It was effective. But if you notice something, watch. He never led anyone to Jesus, but when they got on boats, when they got on planes... The presence of God gripped them. It's what Pastor was talking about. They had been with Jesus, the presence of God. We, we, we're so full of Him that we can't help. We can't stop ourselves from talking. And so therefore, you've got to understand, if we sow the seed, God goes home with them. The conversation is not over just because we stop talking with them. The Holy Spirit is going to continue the conversation, but, but God a lot of times wants us to start it. So when Jesus commissioned his followers to go and make disciples, the external focus of making disciples produces the unexpected benefit of accelerating the discipleship process in the lives of those that are sharing the message. Listen to what I'm saying. When he says go and make disciples, he's not just talking about other people. When we go and make disciples, guess what's happening to us? There's an expedited rate. We're beginning to become greater disciples as we're going. So it's talking to us just as, about, as much as it's talking to somebody else. So watch this. Write this down on your line. Evangelism expedites the discipleship process. Evangelism expedites the discipleship process. Basically, people who can constantly share their faith grow deeper in their own faith, in their own faith walk with God more rapidly. 
Here, watch this. Do you know that your spiritual maturity is the only thing that does not mature with time or age? That's why we have this school of ministry. And people, kids would commit nine months or 18 months of their life where they would pray and read and tell people about Jesus and they were just growing. I would put them, in, in 18 months, I would put them up to people that were sitting in church for 30 years. And they were, had deeper relationships with Jesus. Why? Because they were constantly telling others about Him. So what happens when we begin to evangelize, when we begin to share our faith, when we begin to tell other people about Jesus, it expedites, it makes us greater disciples. So evangelism, evangelism expedites the discipleship process, not just in us, but also through us. So evangelism, write this down on that next one, that big bold letters. Evangelism is a mindset. Evangelism is a mindset, not a method. Teach us how to evangelize. Watch this. Show me one time the disciples ever said, Lord, teach us how to, how to share our faith. They didn't. What did they say? Lord, teach us how to... Pray. If we will learn how to have a conversation and a relationship with God, God will then teach us how to invite other people to have a relationship with Him. So evangelism is a mindset, not a method. Right underneath that, evangelism is a lifestyle, not an event. What does that mean that evangelism is a lifestyle, not an event? If you have to plan on sharing your faith, like you wake up today and on the calendar you have it marked, today I'm going to share my faith. You're probably going to be a little bit frustrated. Every day you wake up, you got to go, wait a second, today might be the day that I share my faith. So i got to prepare myself. Why do we need to make sure that we, have time, we spend time with God? Because let me explain something. When we walk out that door, we re- better re- be ready to face hell. And so when we walk out that door, there's no going back and saying, hey, time out, devil, hold up. I got to go get ready. I got to go get prayed up. We got to make sure that we're full of God. So when we go, guess what? It might spill out of us through a conversation on, in airplanes and airports and in, in, in the grocery store at the workplace. So evangelism is a lifestyle, not an event. See, the mindset... This mindset is a culture of reach that is created intentionally. That means that you become intentional about sharing Jesus. You want to learn, and and we're going to kind of digress just for a moment. You want to know whether or not you're ready. You personally are ready to share your faith. And and you're ready and God can use you. Not, Not right now, but read the books of John. Read the book of John and then read the epistles of John. Read... First, second, third, John. It's gonna, something's going to happen. See, the gospel of John talks about the how of salvation. But the epistles of John speak of the proofs of salvation. So when, on that next line right there, when you have an authentic faith, there are proofs of this conversion. Right? 
When you have an authentic, when it's real, there's going to be proof. What are you talking about? Luke chapter 3 verses 8 says, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. If our lifestyle looked anything like it did before Jesus, I question what Jesus you met. Right? What are you talking about? I went to the cross. Well, let me explain. There were three crosses. Two had thieves on them. I think you got ripped off. If your life didn't change, you knelt at the wrong cross. Because when I got up the day after giving my life to Jesus, I didn't have to have a pastor going, hey, don't watch that. Don't do that. Don't talk like that. Don't act like that. And guess what? When I did do those things, it was like, have you ever, do you remember those? You guys won't have a clue what I'm talking about, so just... Talk amongst yourself for the next 30 seconds. You remember those stupid little silver buttons you slipped on your finger and you wound it up and then you shook your hand and it, was, and it didn't hurt you. It just freaked you out. You're like, whoa, what is that, right? A, what? A joy buzzer. Okay, I didn't get much joy out of it, but it sure did buzz me, all right? So, so they had these little things. Can I tell you, when you do those things, all of a sudden your spirit goes, what is that? I don't like that feeling no more. And God says, well, then don't act like that. Don't say that. Don't do that. And it's not because somebody made me feel bad. It wasn't that people said, you got to change this, 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 and this. No, the Holy Spirit inside of me begins to just go, I don't like that. And if I don't like it, if you keep on doing it, it's either I leave or you stop doing it. So it's your decision. And so what happens is, is this authentic faith, there, it produces this proof of your conversion. It, it's, it produces fruit that is keeping with repentance. So watch this. John, and I love the books of John. Every person that gets brand new saved, I always tell them, read the book of John. Read the book of John. Read 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. Just read it. It's good stuff. But John speaks of three tests of salvation in 1st John. Three tests. That, that tests whether or not we're saved, okay? The first one is this, belief. The first test is on our, on our beliefs. The second test is our love, the love test. So you have the belief test, you have the love test, and then the third one is you have the obedience test. So the belief test, you have the love test, and then you have the obedience test. What are you talking about? Glad you asked. When your faith is authentic, you will be able to pass the test by comparing yourself to these five chapters of 1 John. And whether you feel anything or not, if you are doing these things, guess what? You're walking right with God. So the first one is this. Write this down. The way that you believe, the way that you believe will determine how you behave. The way that we believe will determine the way that we behave. Simply this is when, when we begin to realize that something's changed, if God can change the way that we think, ultimately he can change the way we act. And so the belief test is going to go, when we begin to ch- realize who God is and who God created us to be, it begins to change the way that we believe. And so therefore, that's why he said, I used to be an atheist. Well, what was that? Did man co- did he did he did he talk you into it? No. All of a sudden, your beliefs 
began to change. The way you think, your understanding, your knowledge of God began to change. Can I tell you, an atheist is only one encounter away from God. It's that simple. I was in Portland Airport, uh, and, and God started telling me to speak because I was about to resurrect on the poor little lady behind, uh, behind the counter. I was about to resurrect on a man by the name of Paul. I don't know if you guys have resurrections. You know when you're about to resurrect and go back to your old ways. You know what I'm talking about? You're starting to get a little bit shorter, starting to get a little bit mad. You're starting to feel that vein pop out of your head. A resurrection is coming forward. And all of a sudden, this little lady stopped the resurrection process, and she said, she said, sir, she said, that looks like a church-going shirt. Don't you hate when your Christian camouflage falls off? I'm standing there. I said, ma'am, it is a church-going shirt. I'm late. Because I was about to miss my plan. That's why I was going to resurrect. And, and all of a sudden, I started talking. I basically started preaching in the Portland, Oregon airport. And I started talking about knowing God. And thank God I didn't resurrect. And I didn't do anything I needed to repent for. But all of a sudden, afterwards, I got done. And I said, I may not be able to pray for you all. And I started talking about, do you know what it's like to wake up and realize that you're no longer bound by shame and guilt? You're no longer living in fear and insecurity. That, that you, the, gra- the, the sky is blue and the grass is green. And, and, and life is worth living. And, and, and God is good. And I started talking about, do you know the love of God? Do you know what it's like to wake up and feel God's arms wrapped around you? And, and right at the, after that, I said, I'm going to pray for you all. And I started praying. There's probably about 30 people around me. And all of a sudden, I opened my eyes, and this guy I was about to resurrect on uh, named Paul, he looks at me, and he says, are you for real? And I said, I am for real. And I said, Paul, I apologize. I said, no, I know it's not your fault that I was going to miss my plane. You're just doing your job. And I says, it's my fault. I want to say, I'm sorry. And he said, no, I'm not worried about that. He says, are you for real? I said, well, I, I am probably as real as it comes. And he looked at me, and he says, well, if what you're saying and what I'm feeling is, cha- is true, then I can't i got to change the way I think. I said, what's that? He said, I'm an atheist. He said, but I feel something. I've never felt this. It's overwhelming to me. He said, you mean God would want me to know him? Even though I've mocked people, even though I've laughed at people because of their faith, he says, you, know, you mean God wants me to know him? I said, God wants you to know him. Can I tell you, Paul's still living for Jesus. An atheist, a complete atheist, all of a sudden, one encounter with God. Why? Because let me explain something. It was more than words. He felt empowered by God. I love what happens. When, when, when you're witnessing, God comes around and he goes, <laughs> and they're like, what is that? I feel something. And they grips, he grips their heart. Can I tell you, that encounter changes everything. So the way that we believe will determine how we behave. Number two is this. Your love for God will create naturally a love for others. Your love for God will create a love for others. What are you talking about? If you genuinely love God, He will start loving people through you. Now I'm about to tell myself, I hated people. I hated everyone. I didn't like me, so... Didn't like anybody else. I was miserable. I was very angry growing up. And so I just didn't like people. If I wasn't going to get something from them, they had no use to me. But all of a sudden, when I started falling in love with Jesus, all of like, I saw a guy that was homeless. Before, I would have said, man, worthless piece of stuff. But all of a sudden, I went, wait a second. Man, that guy's hungry. Man, I could give him my lunch. And I'd go over there, and I'd give him my lunch. And I'd walk away, and I was hungry now. 
But all of a sudden I realized, wait a second, that person matters. That person matters as much as anyone. And I began to go, wait a second, I'm not mad anymore. I'm not angry anymore. Wait a second, God, you ruined me. I actually like people now. See, if you genuinely love God, he will love people through you. I was going to say this on belief. I'm just going to back up and say it anyway. Is if your faith hasn't changed your life, your faith isn't worth much. Okay? The next one, third one right here, your love, your love and your and belief. So your love and belief in God will put a desire to obey him. So love, belief, and obey. Your love and belief in God will put a desire to obey Him. See, you obey those that you love and you serve those that you are committed to. I've found out obedience is natural. It comes natural to those that are serving God. People that serve God and truly love God all of a sudden start loving other people and their whole life is changed and it's not only changed their beliefs but it changed their behavior. They're constantly looking up, Pastor, can I do something? Is there anything I can do in the church? I can, I'll pick up the trash. I'll cut the, cut the grass. I'll wash the windows. Is there anything I can do? Please, I just want to serve you. Why? Because let me explain something. Serving you is as real as serving God. And I just want to serve him, so I'll do whatever. I'll usher, I'll clean, I'll vacuum, I'll do whatever. What do I need to do for you? And it's like, people, they're hungry. What happens is, is all of a sudden we stop being obedient so much to God, so we don't want to serve and be obedient to people. I've found out if you cannot obey men of God, you'll never obey the God of those men. So, John chapter 14. John chapter 14, verses 23 through 24. Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teachings. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teachings. That's not, I'm not, I'm not taking anything out of context. I'm just reading you the scripture. Anyone who loves me will obey me. Anyone who does not love me does not obey me. Well, what, what do we have to obey? Everything he said. Everything. You know, the crazy thing is, you know why, the, why the, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the teacher of the law had a, such a hard time with Jesus? <laughs> because their love for God was what was being exposed. They were willing to obey some of the rules as long as those rules fit them. But wait a second. If I love you, I've got to be willing to obey you? James chapter 1, verses 22. Do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourself, do what it says. Right? Who's the word? Who's the word? Jesus. In the beginning was the word. Jesus is the word. Do not necessarily just listen to the word. Do what it says, because what happens is we can listen to the word and think we're doing enough. We go to church. We tithe. We, we, we go every Sunday. That's not enough. We've got to do what the word says to do. And what does the word say? Go out and make disciples. Right? So if you have an authentic faith, if you have an authentic faith, it will lead you to Jesus. 
And you are completely able to lead others to Jesus as well. Simple. Okay, let me... Let me how many of you... If you were to drive home tonight, would get lost. <laughs> he looked at her. He just called her out. He's like, she would get lost. <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> How many of you would not get lost going home? Why? You what? You know where you live? How long you live there? All your life. That doesn't look like it's been that long. <laughs> right? It's been long for you. Right? Anybody ever li- How long you lived there? How old are you? 13. 13 years. Anybody ever lived in their home longer than 13 years in this room? How- Anybody lived in their house over 50 years? Okay, so... Well, no. let's, it's close enough. <laughs> if you have to think about it, it's close enough to me. Same age as him. Age as him. Okay, let me ask you a question. Is there any difference... Do you know your house, how to get home better than she knows how to get to her house home? No. Why? Because age doesn't have anything to do. It has everything to do with knowledge. It has everything to do with understanding. So watch this for a moment. It don't matter how long you've been serving Jesus. We all know how to get to Jesus. And if you want to give me instructions on how to get to Jesus, guess what? All you have to do is say, hey, follow me. I'll lead you there. It's, it's that simple to lead someone to Jesus. How did you get there? How do you get to him on a regular basis? Do you have to have a theological doctrinal discussion with him? Do you have to talk in Greek to him? Or do you just simply say, Lord, I need you. God, hello. It's the same way. And what happens, I said it last night, the number one reason people don't share their faith is because they say they don't know how. But in reality, anyone that has a relationship with Jesus, anyone that has authentic faith, knows how to get a hold of Him and knows how to to, to go to Him. So it's that simple to lead someone else to Him. That's why Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. (laughs) Follow me, I'm going there. So, Let's get, let's get on this right here. Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. That's the scripture that really begins to define how to be a witness. Acts chapter 1 says this. Verses 8. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Notice the words. Shall be. Write that down on that line. Note the words. Shall be. You shall be my witnesses. So note the word shall be. Jesus did not say you shall do witnessing. You shall be, not you shall do witnessing. See, on that, on that next line there, say your witness. So your witness about Jesus is only as good as your relationship. Your witness is only as good as your relationship with Jesus. So your witness about Jesus is only as good as your relationship with Jesus and to the extent which you allow Him through the power of the Holy Spirit to consume you. What does that mean? 
The Holy Spirit was sent for what purpose right here according to the Scriptures? To empower us to be witnesses to Jesus. Not to just pray in tongues. It empowers us. It empowers us. But ultimately, it empowers us for one reason, and that is to be witnesses so that the Great Commission can be accomplished. So Acts chapter 1, verse 8, just look at it for a moment. You shall be my witnesses to the world when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Personal evangelism is not a specific gift given only to a few Christians. It is the personal responsibility of each one of us who follow the Lord Jesus. The only qualification, and I don't have this on here, but the only qualification to be a soul winner, to be a witness, to be someone that leads people to Him. The only qualification is a completely submitted lifestyle that the Holy Spirit is moving through. Right? So your life is nothing more than a hose. It's just a conduit that God's going to flow through. And so when you come in here, you get filled up. And what happens when you go outside, you're to be dumped out. So think of it like this. I love bottled water. You know why? Because I can have water wherever, even if there's not a sink. And I can pour out my water. I love, one of my favorite things to do to my son, because he spends like, he's 10 years old and he spends probably about 20 minutes on his hair. One of the things I love doing to him is I walk up behind him and I dump water on his head. When there's not a mirror and there's not gel. And he's like, Dad, what are you doing? What are you doing? He said, are you jealous? (laughs) No, son, I'm teaching you humility. (laughs) Maybe a little jealous. It's portable. Think of it like this. This is an opportunity to be in the wellspring. Your prayer is, is like going to the well. And God has created a lot of portable vessels that He can fill up in order to go dump out in places like schools, in workplaces, in homes, in restaurants. He can go dump out. And they don't have to go and go, wait a second, I'm empty. No, you're full if you stay full. And out of the abundance of your, of your infilling, it will flow out of you. So, the only qualification is completely submitted lifestyle that the Holy Spirit is moving through. Acts 1.8 says, You shall be my witnesses to the world when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you shall be my witnesses to this world. To this world. What does that mean? To your home, to your friends, to your school, to your nation, and to the world. Wherever you are is an opportunity for God to move. I like to call that a portable revival. You're a spiritual MP3 player. But what do we say? What do we say? Anybody ever thought about that? What do we say? I don't know what to say to people. I don't know what to... Man, how do I start the conversation? What do I say? Well, watch this. When the Word, you have the Word and the Spirit both living in you, Jesus knows everything about that person, and the Holy Spirit will begin to speak, because you have the Holy Spirit in you, will begin to go, wait a second, say this. Say this. 
say this. And he knows everything about this person. Say this. And when you're in tune to the spirit, all of a sudden you say something and they go, how did you know that? You don't know me. We used to spend hours, we would do this thing called street, uh, prophetic street evangelism. And, and in, in our church back in Pueblo, we started with 16 people. Within one year, we had 1,300 people walk through our doors. And this is why. Every Friday night, we'd spend two and a half hours praying and fasting. We wouldn't eat dinner that night. We'd just go to the church and start praying and say, God, give us words for people. Let us just, I don't need to know word right now, but Lord, would you just fill us up? We'd pray in the Holy Ghost just for hours. And then all of a sudden, we'd hit the streets and we'd walk through our downtown area and we'd walk up to people and all of a sudden, it'd be like, Have a, hey, man, can I just say something? And I would speak something and men that were drunk, men that were like crazy would look at him and go, what in the world? Complete sober and go, wait a second, how did you know that about me? Well, we were praying, and I want you to know, and I would speak prophetically into their life, and they would just be undone. They would be undone. They would be like, wait a second, man, can I talk to you for a moment? And we'd lead them to Jesus right there. Because the Holy Spirit, Jesus knows everything. The Holy Spirit knows the spirit of a man, knows the spirit of God. He, so, he knows the heart, and all of a sudden he goes, wait a second, say this, and it may be just one thing. Prime example, there was, I was at, a, I was at a, a dinner one day with this pastor, and he was really struggling, and I didn't know why. I just was invited to come because I was speaking up in, in Alaska, and this pastor shows up, and he's just kind of sitting there, and he's just, you could tell he's just discouraged. And I'm like, hey, man, I says, uh, are you all right? And we're kind of sitting there talking, and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit says, all I want you to do is say mustard. Just say the word mustard. I'm like, Mustard? You ever had a conversation with God like, God, that's dumb. I'm going to look dumb. Mustard? Nah, you know, nah. let the waitress dump mustard on him if you want mustard to happen here. I, I just, I don't, what, what, what do you want me to do? And I, so this is all going on in my head. Don't lie. You have those conversations too. So I'm sitting there. I'm like, mustard? What the world does mustard mean? So I'm like missing my opportunity. They're talking and God's saying, say mustard. I'm like, I'm not saying it. And all of a sudden, I couldn't do it no more. And I looked at him and I says, I grabbed the bottle of mustard. I said, I don't know what this means, but God wants you to know mustard. I put it down on him. And when I put it down on him, you know, those little bottles, it popped up and it hit him right on the cheek. I was like, dude. He starts weeping. He said, what did you just say? And I'm like, okay, now we're good. You get cocky and confident when all of a sudden tears start running. Oh, I'm here. I'm somewhere. I got something now on you. I looked at him. I was like, mustard. God told me to say mustard. I don't know what it means, but mustard, mustard, mustard. He's looking at me, and he's like, oh, my gosh, how did you know that? Who have you talked to? I'm like, I didn't talk to anybody but God. Mustard. I was looking at him like, this dude is a weirdo. Like, he has conversations about mustard with God. All of a sudden, he looks at me, and he goes, he said, let me explain something. He said, when I was in school, I was running from the call of God, and I was actually about to get on a bus, and I was going to go to another school, and I had told God, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. He said, but God, if you truly, truly want me to join the, enter into the ministry, and no matter what, I want you to come up, and I want you to say, have that waitress tell me mustard. And he says, no, I want you to have her ask me if I want mustard on my eggs. 
And so this waitress walks up and she goes, hey, did you want mustard on your eggs? Oh, he starts bawling. He starts bawling. He's in the car driving to this place. And he said, God, if you still want to use me in the ministry, I want you to use, I want you to have Jamie Montero say mustard. I'm like, sucker. So you put this on me? Mustard. It's those type of things that disarms people. I may have shared this story before, but it's one of my favorite stories. I was, I was traveling like crazy, and, and I get on this plane, and I, I, I told you, honoriness is unsharpened anointing. So I'm very honorary when I'm tired. And so I sat down on the plane. I, I love the window because you don't get bumped into. People don't drop their bags on you. The cart doesn't bump into you when you're sleeping, give you a heart attack. So I would sleep by the window, plus you get to lay. You only have to deal with one person. You get to lay on the window. And so I'm sitting there, and all of a sudden I have my books. I just sat down. I have my books on the center aisle, or on the center seat. And this little older lady comes up and she goes, excuse me, sir, those are, that's my seat. Can you move your stuff? And she's kind of snappy. Well, okay, you put a quarter in, let's go. And so I just looked at her and I said, well, my friend was going to sit there. And she goes, well, that's my seat. And I said, well, that's okay. He'll trade with you. And so she's like, she pulls out this thing. That's my seat. And, blah, 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 blah. and I'm like, okay, it's your seat. And I move my book. And I'm like sitting there just looking out the window, thinking in my head, what can I do? What can I do? What can I do? And she sits down and she's like moving around and she puts her arms on both of the armrests and she looks right at me and she goes, this is my armrest. Don't even think about putting your arm on it. (laughs) Well, it's on. Ding, ding. And I said, well, ma'am, I said, hey, listen, you didn't get my, you give me a chance to, I moved the books, but I didn't get to move my friend and you just sat down in the middle of his lap. And my friend wants to know if he can hold you. And all of a sudden, God says, stop it. Knock it off. <laughs> and I'm like, but God, I mean, hey, come on. And God says, stop. And tell her that I want to hold her. So she starts screaming at me. I'm talking, her dentures are about to bite me in the ear. I'm leaning, spit coming. I'm sitting there against the window. She's cussing me out so bad that the stewardess came up and said, excuse me, is everything okay here? And I'm like, terrorist, terrorist. I didn't say it. I was thinking it. And she's screaming a true story because I don't feel like repenting later. Um, she, she's screaming at me. And all of a sudden, I look at her. I said, and she's like, don't talk to me. And I just look at her, and I'm like, I have to. <laughs> she said not to talk to her, God. And I look at her, and I said, uh, uh, ma'am? I said, she's like, don't talk to me. And I said, ma'am, I, you know what? I, I am so sorry. I, I, I am so sorry. I said, I've just been playing. I said, I, I'm, I travel all the time. And she goes, I don't care. You don't treat people like that. And I was like, I didn't really treat her bad. And I looked at her, I said, listen, I says, I, I'm sorry, I'm actually a minister. You're a minister, how dare you? It starts all over again. All of a sudden, I, she settles down and I said, ma'am, listen. I said, I am sorry. I says, but my friend, my traveling companion, he goes everywhere I go, his name's Jesus. And you just sat down in the middle of his lap. And I said, and I was teasing originally. I says, but when you, when you said, when, when after, after I said that, God said, now stop and tell her that I really do want to hold her. And I said, God wants to know if he can hold you and he can embrace you right now. She grabbed my hand and she starts weeping. And I looked at her and I said, ma'am. And she goes, how did you know that? I said, what? She goes, I just lost my husband of over 40 years. 
She said, my kids are making me sell my house and move to California. It's the only house I really have known. Spent most of my life there because they don't think I can take care of myself. And she said, I was standing at the door. She said, sir, I'm not a religious person. I haven't went to church since I was a kid. She says, but I grabbed that handle. The taxi was wait- or the neighbor was waiting for me outside. The house is empty. She said, I grabbed that handle, and she said, God, the only way I can do this, I know I don't deserve this, but the only way I can do this is if you'll hold me. And I just went, God, I'm so sorry. I am so sorry, God. And I got to pray with this precious woman on the plane, got off the plane, called my bride and said, hey, baby, I need you to forgive me. I just held hands with an older lady for two and a half hours. Why? Because I just simply opened up my mouth and allowed the Spirit of God to speak to the heart of a person. It happens all the time. It's one of the favorite things I get to do is the prophetic is not necessarily you being a prophet. It's allowing the Spirit of God to speak things that are not, though, as they were. He begins to rectify. He begins to encourage. He begins to comfort. He begins to heal. So, Jesus knows everything about that person. Jesus knew what that woman had said. The Holy Spirit just allowed me to listen to what he was wanting her to hear. Proverbs chapter 16. What do we say? Watch this. Proverbs chapter 16, verses 1. The preparation of the heart belongs to man, but the words come from God. When, you're, when you have prayed and you prepared yourself and you prepared your heart daily, can I tell you, there's going to be placed words inside of you. Psalms chapter 45, verses 1. It's my life scripture. Every time I get ready to preach, you'll see me if you ever watch me closely. Before I get ready to preach, I go through this whole thing. I quote, I quote a couple of different scriptures. The first thing I do is I start praying the armor of God upon me. Before I get ready to preach, I'm like, God, would you put the belt of truth around me with the breastplate of righteousness in place, my feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Above all, taking up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one, having the helmet of salvation and the sword of spirit, which is the word of God, praying in the spirit with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, being alert and always remember to keep praying for the other saints. God, would you anoint my head to my feet? God, anoint fingertip to fingertip, right to left, front to back, in to out. Lord God, anoint my eyes to see, my ears to hear, my mouth to speak, my tongue to proclaim, my heart to feel, my hands to touch, my feet to go. God, and above all that, Lord, my heart is stirred by a noble theme as I recite my verses to the king. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. I pray every time I get ready to preach. It's my favorite scripture. Listen to what it says. Psalms 45 verse 1. My heart is stirred by a noble theme. What is a noble theme? Salvation. It's noble. People getting their lives saved and changed and transformed. That's noble. As I recite my verses, as I'm, as I'm meditating on the word of God, it's beginning to stir me up. Now watch this. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. Can I tell you, a writer that's ready to write, make sure that he has a pen full of ink. The words that I have are the ink that he fills me up with, with his spirit. And so when I open up my mouth, all of a sudden he begins to write in in, in permanent ink upon the lives of every person we come in contact with. See, active soul winning, watch this, active soul winning, write it down, is intentional. You've got to be about God's business. It's got to be on purpose. Active soul winning is intentional. So active soul winning on that next line. Active soul winning takes focus and commitment. 
What if that man that we just heard that testimony about, what if he would have gave up? What if he would have got discouraged? No, he was committed in spite of what he felt, in spite of what he thought, in spite of what he saw. Active soul winning takes focus and commitment. Active soul winning involves, number one, a frame of mind. A frame of mind. What does that mean? You're going to share Christ at every opportunity. I'm going to share Christ with everybody I can possibly share Him with at every opportunity. I'm going to share Him at the restaurant. I'm going to share Him on a good day, on a bad day. I'm going to share Him. It takes a frame of mind, a mentality. Number two, a perspective on the world. If your heart doesn't realize that there are lost people, watch Fox News for 30 seconds. Don't watch CNN. (laughs) You don't think there's a Christian out there. (laughs) A perspective on the world. Watch this. People of the world need to hear about the good news of Jesus Christ. They have this sin, which is like a cancer, which will lead to death. But Jesus is the cure. Jesus is one encounter, one touch, and He will cure them of this disease that will ultimately cost them an eternal death. You've got to have a perspective on the world which will give you a burden within your heart. Number three is this, an intent of the heart. An intent of the heart. An intent of the heart. You will share Jesus with every person with whom you know and as many people as possible all of the time. You don't have to be in the mood. I had a conversation the other day. I said, I was talking to a pastor. I was talking to a bunch of pastors and I said, man, when was the last time that you shared Jesus? You led someone to Jesus outside the church, not in a hospital room, but you personally, a person you didn't even know that you led to Jesus. You shared your faith with you, led to Jesus. And this pastor was being a sarcastic little guy. And he said, well, I just, I'm just not in the mood. I said, do you think Jesus was in the mood when he got beaten? (laughs) You think Jesus was in the mood when he got pierced? Do you think Jesus was in the mood? I said, dear God. I said, that's not a joke. That's the abundance of your heart. Oh, I'm just playing. And I said, you know what? What you just told God is you have to be in the mood to see someone saved and you're a minister. I said, I wish to God I was the general, count, uh, general, uh, the, the general um, superintendent of the Assemblies of God. I would have your credentials and cut them up into a million pieces. I says, I don't even like you right now. I want to punch you in the face. He was like, well, why is mine okay? And I says, because I says, I didn't say I wasn't in the mood to tell people about Jesus. I said I was in the mood to punch you in the face. (laughs) I said, one will heal, one will not. (laughs) Then I had to say I'm sorry because I offended him. See, it's an intent. Number four is a focused concentration, a focused concentration. You will continually be alert and looking for someone with whom you might help. These are opportunities. Focused concentration. Continually being alert. Always looking around. What can I do? It may be something simple. It may be somebody walking their, taking their groceries to their car and you help them. It may be opening the door for someone. Focus your concentration. How can I lead someone to Jesus? Number five, a purpose. A purpose. Everything you say and do will be aimed at leading people to an all-sufficient Savior.
Proverbs chapter 16, verse 9, and man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Allow God to put you in the right places. Allow God to put you in the right places. Pray for boldness. We talked about it tonight. I love the, 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 the closing of that particular story in, in Acts chapter 4. Can I tell you that they got beat up? <laughs> that they said we cannot shut our mouths. It, we, we can't stop talking about Jesus because our hearts are so full. And they beat them. And then guess what? After getting beat, after not denying Jesus, after not giving in to intimidation and fear, they go and start celebrating with the other disciples and the other people and said, did you, can you believe this? Dude, did you see this black eye? Can you see this wealth on my back? That's because I didn't deny Jesus. So let's pray for boldness. <laughs> That's what they did. Let's pray for boldness. They counted themselves. They did not get upset when they were being beaten. They, count, they rejoiced going, can you believe God counts us worthy enough to suffer for him? So they start praying and all of a sudden the house where they were, the, the place where they were meeting starts shaking and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Wait a second. They went from boldness The boldness? I believe the first time was a test. And then they were released some things. A greater boldness. That they were not going to be of those who shrink back. See, there's no excuses. There's no timidity. Soul winners cannot be shy and cannot be weak. So pray for boldness. Acts chapter 4, verses 29 through 31. It says, Now the Lord considers their, uh, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal. Perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Ephesians chapter 6 verses 18 through 20. And pray in the Spirit in all kinds of occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always remember to keep praying for the other saints. Pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me. Paul is simply saying, hey, wait, I want to know what to say. Pray that words may be given to me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. What does that tell you? It tells you even Paul was struggling with a little bit of insecurity and a little bit of fear going, I need God. I need his spirit in order to do what he's called me to do effectively. And so, ambassadors are direct representation of authority. So on your, on, on your, on your last little list right here, see how that says represent? Because every single person in here that is serving Jesus, that is a man or a woman of God, that is a child of God, you represent Jesus, all right? So now I want you to break the words apart. You represent Jesus, so when you represent Jesus, you represent him. You represent his power. You represent his grace. You represent his mercy. When you show up somewhere, you're representing Jesus. How important is it that our lifestyles and how we act and how we talk matters? Because let me explain something. If we represent Jesus and they say, wait a second, Jesus didn't act like that. Jesus didn't do that. What are we going to do? We're going to confuse people. So our lifestyle is one of the greatest tools that God wants to use. So, 
You brought a $5 bill, right? Get your $5 bill out. Get your $5 bill out. Everybody get your $5 bill. Let me show you. Last week I was telling somebody, and this isn't a boast, I gave about $60 away. 60 of, I gave a bunch of these away. Okay? Get it out. Okay? I'm going to show you real quick. You don't have to hold it up in the air, but I just want you to look at it. This is what I do. I'll walk into Walmart. I'll walk into restaurants, McDonald's. I'll just walk through the airport. The other day, I was sitting on an airplane. She couldn't go anywhere. So I sat there and I said, hey, listen, can I ask you a couple of questions? And because I value you, I want, to, want you to know your time's going to be worth something. So I'm only going to take a couple of minutes. So I'm, and I'm going to give you $5 for your couple of minutes. So that's pretty good salary. I said, just a couple of questions. And so what I'll do is I'll say, hey, listen, you know how in the United States currency, they have different types of bills that are printed in print. So they have the ones, they have the twos. Twos are rare, but still kind of not worth much. You have fives, you have tens, you have twenties, you have fifties, and you have hundreds. And they'll say yes. And I'll say, what's your favorite? And they'll say hundreds. <laughs> so mine too. And then I'll look at them and I'll say, hey, listen, I'm going to give you this $5. But before I do, I want you to make a value of yourself, an assessment of yourself. And out of all the currencies that there are, what kind of currency would you be? What kind of, well, I'm not, I'm, I'm not for sale. No, 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 I'm not asking you if you're for sale. Based on from ones, five, uh, twos, fives, tens, twenties, fifties, and hundreds, what is your value? What would you value yourself? But before you answer that, let me ask you a question. Have you ever done anything really bad that you regret doing? I'm not going to ask you to, to, to tell me what that is, but have you ever done anything and they'll look at you and instantly it comes to their mind? Yes? Okay. Have you ever done anything that you, were really, you felt good about that made you, like, I could do this and keep on doing this for the rest of my life? Absolutely. Could you share that with me? A, a lady last week in, uh, in a restaurant in, in Oklahoma on Friday looked at me and she says, well... I, I teach kids how to dance. I, I take kids that, that can't afford it, and I teach them how to dance. And I said, that makes you feel pretty good. And she goes, absolutely. I said, okay, based on what you have done wrong and based on what you've done right, what value would you give yourself? And she said, a $2 bill. And I said, so what you're saying is you're rare but kind of worthless. She kind of looked at me, and she said, what? And I said, you know what? I appreciate your time. And I said, I want to give you this $5. But before I do, I want to give you a little bit of history on this $5. This $5 was used to buy ammunition where a four-year-old lost his dad to a drive-by shooting. This $5 bill was used to buy alcohol, which cost a 16-year-old their life in a drunk driving accident. This $5 bill was put in the hand of a sex trafficker where a child was bought. This $5 bill was placed in the hands of a lawyer to settle a divorce court where a family was torn apart. This particular $5 bill has been, has been thrown away. This $5 bill has actually been torn. This $5 bill has purchased countless numbers of drugs. It's been rolled up and cocaine has been snorted through it. This $5 bill has been a, used a lot to destroy a lot of people's lives. This $5 bill has been put in the sewage. It's been lost. It's been messed up. It's been thrown away. Do you want this $5? You'll watch people go, wait a second. I don't think so. Well, why? You don't want it because of what it's done and what it's been a part of. But wait a second, this is still $5. And you know why it's worth $5? Because on the back of it, it says the United States of America. And when they printed it, they created it to be worth something and to hold its worth no matter what. 
And I said, and this is just a piece of paper. I said, there is a God that created you. And he created you to be valuable. And your value does not change based on bad things that you've done or good things. It doesn't decrease and it doesn't increase your value. I want you to understand, on the back of this $5, it says something. What does that say? You are valuable no matter what. I want you to understand something. That no matter what, every time you see money from this moment on, I want you to realize that you are valuable because you have a God that stands behind you. He created you to be valuable. And no matter what you do right and no matter what you do wrong, you are valuable. And you start weeping. I promise you. We just saw probably a man in his 70s at Walmart the other day who valued himself at a dollar. He said, you're valuable. And he was crying so hard he could barely breathe. I said, sir... I'm going to give you this $5. I don't need the $5. What you just said is worth more to me than anything. And I said, no, I'm a man of my word. You're going to take this $5. And I said, but before you do, can I pray for you? Because let me explain something. The way that you're acting shows me that you don't realize who you are because you don't know whose you are. And God wants you to know that he created you to be a son or a daughter. He gave you the right to become children of God. And I prayed with more people in restaurants, in airplanes, all because of $5. You can make up your own story. That's not the history. I didn't look up the history of this $5. I made up that told story. But it's all about they're valuable. Last week at Dave & Buster's, a restaurant in Oklahoma, a young lady came up and God gave me a word for her. She had an abortion. And that's when it said she was worth $2, or $2 bill. And I looked at her and I says, you know what? The problem is, is you can't forgive yourself. I said, but there's a God in heaven that's ready to forgive you. Prayed with her. Her manager was staring at us. And I looked up and I stood, went up and I said, I'm going to give her the best tip. I says, I want you to know that's one of the best waitresses I've ever had in my life. He said, well, what were you doing? I says, we were just talking to her. I said, but you need to understand she's about to become a better waitress. That's as simple as it is. You can tell that story anywhere. And you know what I found out? This does not threaten anybody. But the gospel of Jesus, there's been a lot of people where I've not prayed the sinner's prayer with, but I gave them $5 and I saved it. Every time you look at money from this moment on, remember that you are valuable. So this, what is what I did? On the back of this page, on the next page, and I'm, I'm, I'm basically done. On the back of this page, I gave you the ABCs of salvation. The ABCs of salvation. Okay. This is these are things that need to happen in order for someone to be led to Jesus. They must admit that they're a sinner and in need of a savior. There's scriptures underneath it. Ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins, repentance, not just remorse. We can't just feel bad for what we do. We've got to repent. We've got to be willing to turn away from. Then the B is believe in your heart that Jesus is the son of God, the Messiah, the Lord and the savior. You've got to believe Jesus is the only way to the Father and the hope of salvation. I love, this is something that God gave me in, when I was uh, telling somebody about Jesus. See, Jesus is not just our way to heaven. Heaven is, is, is our home, but not our hope. Jesus is our hope that leads us home. We've got to become a child of God by receiving Christ. The C is confess with your mouth your sinfulness, that you need Him as a Lord and Savior. And then number three, commi- uh, the, 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 the next C, Commit your life to Jesus. 
So if you will look at that, just I want you to hang that up. I want you to memorize those scriptures because I'm going to skip back just for in, in just a couple of moments. If you'll go to that last page of creating culture, there's a couple of things that you've got to know right under represent. So number one, you've got to know their story. Ask questions. Show interest. Ask them who they are. Can I tell you, ask their name and actually remember their name. When you're telling somebody about Jesus, ask their name. Why do you need to remember? It's the most important thing they've ever got in their entire life. How do I know that? It's the only thing they still have. Ask their name. Their name matters. So know their name. Number two, ask them about their life. Ask them uh, about, you know, and show interest. Pay attention. Uh, You know, follow up with what they're saying. Get to know them. This is in a conversation. The next thing after you know their story, you've got to know your story. Be able to tell who you are, in uh, who you once were in no more than three minutes. Why? Because you don't want to tell them your entire life story. Okay, a true testimony is not about all the wrong things you've done summed up by 30 seconds of what Jesus did right. But know who you were. Write out your story. Condense it. All the details really don't matter and they are not needed. So you've got to know your story. Then you've got to know your testimony. And your testimony is this. Be able to tell them what Jesus did in your life. That's where like I was blind but now I see. I was lost but now I'm found. I was dead but now I'm alive. It's understanding this is who I was but I'm no longer that person. You got to know his story. You got to have an understanding of the gospel. You got to know the word in order to introduce the word. You got to know him. Introduce him. This is one of the biggest things. And I will say, in active soul winning, you got to know how to introduce him as a personal savior. Because a lot of people see him as, a, as, a, as, as a, nothing more than a statue in a church. He's got to be personalized. He's got to, they got to be, go, wait a second, he, he can be my savior. He can be my Lord. He can be my best friend. Yes. So know him. Introduce them to a, a personal savior. Then know when to end. Be able to know when to close and when to walk away. Ask if you can pray with them in regards to their needs that maybe they shared in their story. The other day, we were, I was in Walmart, two kids. I just was talking to them. I said, man, tell me a little bit about yourself. They, this guy just happened. He said, he said, well, we're coming here. He said, I got to get my dad a shirt. And I said, you got to get your dad a shirt. And he says, you know what? He's got liver failure. He's on dialysis. And so I got to give him a new shirt because it leaked on his favorite shirt. And so he, he only wears a certain shirt. And I got to come back. And I said, okay. At the very end, I said, can I pray for you? And I said, what's your dad's name? We're going to pray for him, that God would heal him, that God would touch him. This kid starts weeping. And I prayed for his dad. Find out. Ask if you can pray for the needs that they shared. Ask them if, you would, if they would like to know Jesus. Be aware. Sometimes just end up praying for their needs. Sometimes you don't ask them. Sometimes they're not, you know what, I'm not ready for that. Okay. But that's where you send them home and say, hey, listen. Before you go to bed tonight, will you do yourself a favor? It's not really a favor for me, but will you do yourself a favor? When nobody else is looking, when I'm not there, would you just ask God to become real to you? I did this to a, uh, uh, a ticket agent at for Delta in Denver. She asked how come, where I fly all the time. I told her I was a minister. I shared a little bit about Jesus with her. I said, hey, listen, you want to know Jesus? And she goes, oh, no, 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 I'm not ready for that. I said, hey, listen, this is what I need. Before you go home tonight, or before you go uh, to bed tonight, I said, would you just ask yourself or ask Jesus to become real to you? 
it was like two weeks later, I walked up to the ticket counter. She was serving somebody else. She comes up to me and she said, I did what you said. And I was like, what? Like, I, I slept since then. I'm, I'm like, what? What do you mean you did what you said? And so she was like, hold on, don't leave before I talk to you. She came up and she said, I asked to make God real to me. I asked God to make, become real to me. She said, I felt something. What was that? And I said, that's his presence. She goes, how do I feel it again? I said, well, how did you feel it the first time? She goes, I don't know. I asked God to feel it. I said, that's called prayer. I said, just pray. She goes, it's that simple? She goes, but I don't go to a church. I don't care. Just pray. But if you want to feel more, go to a church too. Okay? So ask them. And the last one is this. No when they don't want prayer in person. That's when you say, hey, listen, how can I be praying? I'll be praying in my room tonight. I'll be praying before I go to bed. Pray. But I will say this. Don't always try to finish the conversation. Sometimes God will finish that conversation. Amen?